Well, good morning, church. So as Steve uh, mentioned, the uh, plan for the sermon series, it kind of makes the Bible sound rather simple, right? And yet maybe you're scratching your head and saying, well, the Bible doesn't feel that simple to me. And, um, and that's why we want, another reason why we want to do this is uh, the Bible, we can kind of lose sight of the forest for the trees as we read through our Bibles. And if we're not careful, if we lose sight of the big picture of the Bible, the big storyline, the whole story of what God is doing, we can start to turn the Bible into a religious version of Aesop's fables, which basically turns the stories of the Bible into moralistic uh, teachings where really it all becomes about you. And a lot of people approach their Bible that way, sort of as an an instruction manual for life with hopefully some spiritual pick-me-ups in there to help you get ahead. Uh, But that's not the Bible. And so uh, if you read the Bible rightly, if you can start to see the strand of God's, the single story of what God is doing, uh, then what happens is you'll discover the Bible isn't really about you, although you're included in the story, which is what's so amazing. But the Bible is really focused not on what you must do. The Bible is all about what God has done and is doing and one day will do. And the Bible is all about God. And so that storyline of the Bible is what we want to really feature and enjoy and celebrate together as a church family from Genesis, Romans, and Revelation. So um, let's start in the beginning, Genesis. Now, uh, some of you, you should have received a sermon handout this morning. I know some of you are wondering if you walked into the right church, right? (laughs) Um, But it's true. You're in the right church, and we do have a handout this morning. Some of you are thrilled. Some of you are ambivalent about it and some of you are stressed out because you're worried about missing a blank. I'll try to do my best to, to give you the blanks. If I miss that, just give me an angry scowl or raise your hand and I'll try to, try to make sure you're not uh, left, left hanging there with, with the missing blank. And really the handout's there just to help us kind of follow along together because this sermon is going to be rather philosophical. It's going to require you to really kind of think philosophically as we start, as, as we look at how the Bible starts the entire story. And it begins in Genesis 1, verse 1. It was read for us this morning. In the beginning, God. And so that first uh, point there is simply this. In the beginning, there was God. In the beginning, there was God. In other words, when the world began, God was already there. Because God, according to the Bible, is the only one, the only thing that has no beginning. This is why I said the sermon is going to be philosophical <laughs> because already our minds are starting to short circuit to, to think of no beginning because we all have a beginning and everything in our lives has a beginning except God. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning there was God. Based on Genesis 1, we can conclude that since only God has no beginning, our existence is grounded in God. It finds its origin, its being and beginning from God. Now, what does that mean for us in practical terms? I don't think I've really said anything unusual or new or alarming for anyone in here who's been a Christian for a while because you probably have all tried to start reading your Bible through and where do people start? Genesis 1.1. So even folks that haven't really read a lot of the Bible, a lot of them have read Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God. This means that God made you. And of course, the Genesis account unpacks that more in the end of chapter 1 and again in chapter 2, verse 7, chapter 2, verses 18 and 23. We have the story in the account of God creating humankind, which means that you have been designed by God for a purpose. 
Your existence originates in the creative act and purposeful design of God. Because in the beginning, God. This means you can only begin to rightly understand the world around you and how you fit into this world after you embrace and believe this truth in the beginning, God. And I probably, again, haven't said anything new, but why is this basic truth so important for us to understand the story of the Bible? The implications of in the beginning God are profound. And there's all sorts of ways we could try to unpack this, but here's just uh, one, one path that we might consider together as we start looking at the entire story of the Bible, which begins with God. Philosophy has wrestled with this question of origins. And as a society, as a human race, we are fascinated by the idea of origins. One of the most compelling proofs of that is the, I can't remember how many billions of dollars it took to put the new space telescope out there, right? Um, And if you read any reports about why they spent the billions and spent the decades developing it and then launching it, and now we've actually been able to get images back from it, is because they want to see where have we come from. They're trying to look back, peer back into time, so to speak, right? Because of the way light travels and all that. There's a fascination with that. Philosophy has wrestled with this question. Scientists are wrestling with this question. And the Bible answers that question with this statement, in the beginning, God. So it's been put this way, right? Uh, Take, for example, a letter opener, right? I mean, maybe you don't use it. Maybe you just kind of jam your finger in there and open a letter with your finger, right? But a letter opener, maybe you have one at home. They kind of have decorative handles sometimes. If you consider something that has been made, in this example, a letter opener, you can see that it has been made by a designer to serve a specific purpose, to open letters, to open envelopes. It didn't just appear by accident with no purpose or specific design. The same can be true for us. If God created humankind, you and me, that means that each human being is the realization of a certain God-given designed purpose. Now you can start to see how in the beginning God gives the story of the Bible and you now as a character in that story because God made you this sense of meaning and purpose and, and, and specific design by God. Now, the problem is secular atheism is being pushed on us by modern society, by American modern Western society, and it's trying to get rid, it's tried to get rid of God and make it seem silly and preposterous for anyone to believe in God. But that isn't so easily done. If you say God does not exist, as secular atheism does, and if you truly live in alignment and consistent with that belief, then you would have to admit that humans do not have a specific purpose because there is no designer. If there is no God, then you would have to concede that the letter opener would have more purpose and dignity of design than you do. And this is where we start to go, well, hang on now. I I don't like that. We, We start to object. Exactly, because the story of the Bible begins this way, friends. In the beginning, God. So why does this matter? Well, there's uh, all sorts of reasons why this matters, but here's a couple for us to consider together this morning that I think are the most obvious. In the beginning, God forms the basis for moral judgments. It forms the basis for moral judgments, for understanding right and wrong, good and bad. You see, a secular worldview can tell you how things are, but it cannot tell you how things ought to be. 
If God does not exist, if he is not our creator, then why must, why ought humans be honest with each other? I mean, really, why are you so upset that they lied to you? Why can't you lie? Why can't everything and anything just be permitted? If God does not exist, how can you determine if someone or something a person is doing is good or bad? On what grounds do you discern that? You say, well, I just feel like that's wrong. Well, then you have to admit that that's just your feeling then. If there is no in the beginning God, but there is. Who are you to ever say to anyone ever about their actions or behavior if there is no in the beginning God? But there is. For example, since you can know the design and purpose of a letter opener, you can determine if it is a good letter opener or a bad letter opener. If it opens letters, then it's what? Good. If it doesn't open letters, then it's what? Bad. How do you know that? Because you know its design, its purpose. The same is true for us because in the beginning God. It means that God's purpose and design for us determines what would be good or bad for us. And we're going to tease this out more as the series goes on to unpack the significance of this and how rich the storyline of the Bible is for our worldview, how it really makes sense of the most, most complicated problems of our world. And there are. Here's what I mean. You see, we can be certain it would be bad to try to carve a marble statue with a letter opener. You could say that would be a bad... It wouldn't be smart because the letter opener wasn't designed to carve marble. You could try to carve marble with a letter opener, but you're going to damage it and probably ruin it if you keep at it long enough. How do you know that? Because of its design, its purpose. And the same is true for us. If human beings are made by God, and we are, then we can know some things are good for humans and some things are bad for humans because we have God's word which is why what Steve was saying when we started, that it all has to come back down to the authority of the Scriptures. But if there is no in the beginning God, if we just accidentally occurred, then we can't say we have any specific purpose and we can't really have any way to talk with certainty about what is right and wrong and good and bad. And so as we look at the series, as you start this, we need to understand that the storyline of the Bible starts with God. He is our Creator And we must understand and embrace this basic reality if we ever hope to understand our identity and how we fit into this world. I find it fascinating that it's impossible, I think it's impossible to truly live according to the presupposition that there is no God. This to me was fascinating as I was studying it this week, how philosophers, even those that were just bold and courageous with what they said, like Nietzsche, that there is no God, God is dead, yet was unable to live in alignment with his own stated belief. Because you can say that you don't believe in God. Maybe you're here this morning because somebody invited you and you came along, or maybe you've just been wondering and doubting, how do I really know there's a God? And maybe you're doubtful of that. You see, it's easy to say maybe that there is no God, but you can't really live like that because it's impossible for you to go through life without making moral judgments all the time. And that's what would happen. Philosophers would say these things, there is no God, but then they would go through their whole life making moral judgments all over the place. And it would cause other philosophers to be so irritated and exasperated with these other people who are writing books because they said, hang on, if you say there's no God, then on what grounds are you complaining? On what grounds are you making moral judgments? How can you say that's bad? How can you say that's wrong? Why should you say stop doing that? Why is it impossible for us to live in accordance with the idea, the presupposition that there is no God? Because Genesis 1.1 is there, in the beginning, God. Because it's true. In other words, we can say this, human beings, our human nature, is one of the greatest living apologetics for the existence of God. 
because we cannot escape. We cannot try to work our way away from that, not consistently. And by the way, that's what we're going to read about in Romans chapter 1 too. The same idea, the same story. In the beginning, God and how everything was started. Romans 1 through 4 talk about this sense of, listen, you're making judgments against others about a, a law that you don't even keep, but yet you're irritated when they break that. What is that? That's that apologetic of human nature again, admitting tacitly, in the beginning, God. But why does this matter? Number two, for freedom. Not just moral judgments, but secondly, for freedom. It seems to me that one reason people might deny the existence of God in our modern age is the idea of wanting to be free. We live in the land of the free, right? And so this idea of freedom can be very, not just even religious, but patriotic, almost in a religious way. And you see, if there is no God, in a way, you are absolutely free. Thought about it, right? You can live however you want with no ultimate accountability or measure against which to judge your attitudes or your motives or your actions. When the world is selling us a version of freedom that tells us if you believe in God and if you worship him and if you order your life around him, then you are living in a form of slavery. Teenager, do you feel like that? Young person, do you feel like that? Like religion is just kind of in the way, holding you back from living your best life. Be free, be you, be your true self. Sounds good, right? But it's not. It's a lie. It isn't. You see, living by that mantra will inevitably produce an awful and empty and ruined life. It's the very opposite of freedom. The Bible has a much better, truly satisfying definition of freedom, and it all comes back to, in the beginning, God. Here's why. Think about it this way. Have you ever seen a bird flying and been a bit jealous? Right? No? <laughs> Come on. No one? Okay, I'm seeing some heads nod. Are you with me? Seen a bird fly? And some of you are thinking about like an eagle or hawk. Or, all right, let's, let's be a little more realistic. If we were birds, we probably wouldn't be them. We'd probably be pigeons, right? <laughs> Think about a pigeon. If a pigeon was being chased by a cat, you know, pigeons just kind of make me laugh because you see them kind of walking around on the street and, and they can't walk faster than their heads can bob. You ever notice that? Like they reach a terminal velocity where they just can't run faster because their heads just can't. Well, if a cat was chasing a pigeon... Should the pigeon try to run away? No. Should the pigeon try to jump in a nearby pool or you know, a fountain of water to get away from the cat? No. What should the pigeon do? This is so obvious, right? What should the pigeon do? Fly. Because that's what the pigeon was made to do. The pigeon finds freedom when it lives in alignment with its design and purpose. And the same is true for us. When we submit to our God-given design, in the beginning, God, that is when we experience true freedom. Now, we will doubt that over and over again, and the world around us and the devil and our own flesh within us is going to make us doubt that. We're going to feel like, just like we're going to see in Adam and Eve, that has God said, he's holding back on you. Don't you want something better? And we're going to be tempted towards that lie. And that's where everything went wrong. We'll see that. But it all started with, in the beginning, God. And God is the source then of how we can determine and experience true freedom, true, meaningful, purposeful, rich, satisfying freedom. We will only be free when we submit to our God-given design. In fact, you could say, just like the pigeon, if it refused to fly and it wanted to run away or try to jump into a pool and try to swim away, we would, we would be enslaved and in peril if we refused to submit to our God-given design. 
You see, if you deny in the beginning God, you are not free and you never will be. And the story of the Bible will show that to us because we are in bondage to this turning away from God, turning away from our Creator. That bondage to sin. We're enslaved by it and we need to be set free from it. And that's why the story of the Bible is really not about you. It's all about God, what He has done in the beginning, God. And if you deny that God is your designer and the one from which you get your purpose and understand true freedom, instead you will be completely influenced by everybody and everything else around you about how to determine what you should or shouldn't be. And this is really, especially when you're younger, but it never goes away. Even as you get older, if you deny in the beginning God, you're going to have to look to some others, to something else to know what's important and what's cool and what's smart and what's wise and what should I be pursuing. You're going to be looking around for cues somewhere. You will have to take your form, to to take and form your identity from something, from some other so-called, here it is, God. And for, for many, it could be success or financial wealth or accomplishment or fame or power or influence or fam. You're going to fill something in there. Something will take that role of God that you will form your life around. But we have the story of the Bible in the beginning, God. The story of the Bible is the, is the story that will tell you how to be free. Ultimately, by having right relationship with God through Jesus, we'll see that unfold. But another important truth, number two here on your sheet, in the beginning, God is love. In the beginning, God is love. Now, I'm going to try to couple together some philosophical truths to help us see this, okay? So you've got to hang in here with me, right? If you're going to, if you're going to let your mind drift... This is not the time to do it, all right? You can do that in just a little bit, but not now. Genesis 1.1, do you see that? If you have your Bibles open, first page of the Bible, if a Bible's intimidating, this is one of the easiest places to find, the very beginning. Genesis 1.1, we are told, in the beginning, God. Now look at verse 2. We're told that the Spirit, right, of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And that word picture, by the way, of hovering, I know I've talked about birds already, but it's a reference to a mother bird fluttering over her young. It's a very intimate and warm and caring word picture that the, that the, the prose is pulling out. And then in verse 3, you have, in God said, the word of God. So verse 1, we have God. Verse 2, we have spirit of God. Verse 3, we have word of God. All creation happens through the word. Because as you read... You're going to see in this pattern of Genesis 1, you're going to hear this pattern repeated, almost like a song, where it says, and God said, and there it was. God said, God said, there God said. All creation happens through the Word. Now that's why we read in John chapter 1 this morning. If we move forward in our Bible from Genesis to the New Testament Gospel of John, we're going to see hints of this creation account picked up in John 1. And, and a portion of this was read for us this morning. And I, I think I have this on screen for us again. But John 1, verses 1 through 3, so we just read, and God said, right? God, in the beginning was God, the Spirit of God was there, active in creation, and God said the Word. What about the Word? John 1 picks that up. In the beginning was... Now, if this was Genesis, what would be next? God. But here John says, in the beginning was the Word. Now, to make sure we understand this, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See this connection? He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Very 
specific explanation about what was happening in creation. So who or what is the word? Well, as you keep reading John 1, you learn without any misconstruing that the word, which is in the beginning, which was God, is Jesus. Jesus. So putting all this together, here's what we have. It means we have Father God, in the beginning God, and Spirit of God, Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Word of God, doing creation. Father, Spirit, Word. This teaches us that the God who existed before the creation of the world, the God who created the world is, here's the word that theologians use to describe this, is triune. There's three persons in one Godhead. Three persons, Father, Son, Word of God, and Spirit of God. Three persons in one Godhead. Together they created the world. They created human beings, everything we see. Ultimately, at its most basic level, it means God, triune, created you. You say, come on, I came to a Sunday service not to get a theology doctrinal lesson. Come on, what does this mean? What are the implications? Well, there's a whole bunch. But for our sake, for the sermon, there are two implications I want us to understand. Number one, here's a blank. The story of the Bible is one of love. The story of the Bible is one of love. Think about it. When people are a world religion talk about believing in a God, let's just put God in little g quotes, right? Much of the time they talk about God as a solitary, powerful being. Greek myths, Roman myths, there would be a plurality of gods, and again, they're kind of all individual, but there's no unity there, right? There's, there's persons, but not one Godhead. They often talk about God in this unipersonal, distant, solitary way. And if that were true, then we would have a single-person God creating the world out of power. And only after the acts of power would love come then when other beings were made. Again, philosophical. You hanging in here with me? A single-person God means power would be more fundamental than love. It means love would be secondary. But the story of the Bible is a story of love, primarily. And how God uses his power to apply his love into your life and to rescue us. If power were primary, then it would mean the essence of God is power. And sometimes we can almost begin to think that way, right? I mean, God is powerful. We sing about his power, his might, his majesty, how he's our rock how he protects us, how he's our fortress, our refuge. All of that is true. But none of that would really matter in a personal way if he, was not, if he did not love us. It would mean that the essence of God would be power and love would be secondary. It would be peripheral. It would, it would make power the ultimate reality. But the story of the Bible, what we have is something so much better than that. The Bible is a story of love. God tells us in his word that he is love. 1 John 4, verse 8 1 John 4, verse 16. He is love. That means that God is literally love. This is difficult, right? So, for instance, it is not that God is just loving, but he is love. And, friends, love cannot exist outside of relationship because love can only happen between persons. And I was mulling this over this week because I thought, well, really? I mean, you know, have you seen somebody who loves their car or loves their, whatever, fill in the blank, an object? Right? 
And you're like, well, that's not a person. You can have love for an object. Yeah, but when you drill into it, that object starts to become personified, doesn't it? Like, you ever heard somebody talk about their car? Like, I mean, we do that. We name our cars, don't you? Uh, maybe you do that out of spite because the thing is unreliable. But my great-grandpa's 46 Ford that I've inherited, Bessie. I call, talk about it as she. Let's go take, how, how's the truck, how's she doing the truck? I'm sorry. I don't mean to be offensive here. I just realized I walked into this, this terrifying, oh, please don't be offensive. Right? We personify something, right? When we, when we give it that much attention. You cannot have love outside of relationship. The story of the Bible tells us that love was happening in the Godhead. In the beginning, God, what is that? In the beginning, God is love. There was love between Father, Son, and Spirit for all eternity past. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were knowing each other and loving each other and delighting in each other from all eternity. And out of that relationship of love comes creation. Do you remember this when we did our elective on the, on the difficult doctrine of God's love and how now this, we tease this idea out? This is just a reminder of that. Jesus gives us a glimpse into this in John 17 when he prays. He says that from all eternity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, from before the foundation of the world, they were glorifying each other. And again, this is, there's a mystery to this, right, because it's pre-creation, it's pre-existence, but what's happening here is to glorify each other. Think about it, right? It means to delight in each other, to praise and honor each other. What, are, what, what, what is that? Those are expressions of love. That's what a, a groom will do with his young, young bride and a bride will do with her, her new groom. There will be this sense of glorying in each other. What? This, these are expressions of love. That's what is being described in John 17. So to glorify them is these expressions of love. In John 17, Jesus teaches us that before the beginning, before there was anything created, there was love inside the Godhead. Love before power, love before creation, the universe, you come from relationships of love. So why does this matter? Well, it means then that the ultimate reality is not power. It's not power. It's not a blank. Sorry, I didn't mean to fake you out. Love is the ultimate reality, which just helps us understand why relationships matter so much. Right? We went through this pandemic and everybody's isolated and sociologists and news reporters are talking about the detrimental effects and why this is bad and how they're observing these phenomena. Why? Because in the beginning, God. And God is love. He's triune. And you've been made for relationship because you've been made by a God of relationships. If there is no God and the reason that you and I are here, just think about it. If we remove all, if we remove in the beginning God, that means then we're here through the random acts of evolutionary violence and power. Essentially, the strong eating the weak. And if there is no God, that's it. That's all. Power is ultimate. And my kids were rolling their eyes at me this weekend because we're, we're watching a show or something and there's like somebody who's you know, in danger and being you know, hurt and you're waiting for the hero to come in. And I was like, it doesn't matter. If it's all just an accident, it doesn't matter. It's, they should die anyways, right? Let the strong overtake the weak. We need to move our species forward. And my kids were like rolling their eyes. And I said, sorry, kids, it's sermon prep week. But you think about it, right? You take that out, why should you help those who need help? Isn't that just natural selection taking place? But no, if the Bible is right, and it is, and in the triune God created the universe from love, and he did, then for you to continually make life choices that put personal advancement over community or loving relationships or marriage or family or things like that, you're eventually going to unravel yourself. You'll uncreate yourself, so to speak. 
You weren't built for a private, solitary, individual pursuit of personal achievement and personal pleasure. You've been built in the beginning God. So does this challenge, then, any of our mindsets in our modern age about family or church family or home groups or community or neighbors or friendship? Because it's easy to get pulled into the, the, the power of the age and pursue those things and miss, in the beginning, God. Who is God? God is love. The story of the Bible is a story of love. So this means then, and here's a blank for you, um, the story of the Bible is one of love, and the last blank there is love relationships then are self-giving. And this is where we'll end, by taking us right up to look at how we see Jesus then foreshadowed in, in this idea of in the beginning God. Love relationships are self-giving. In John 17, Jesus, and again, I haven't read that just because it's a long passage where the phrases of Jesus and his prayer weave back and forth about this. But you can read it there on your own sometime. But we see in John 17, Jesus is describing Father, Son, Spirit, God, his relationship there, pre-creation, pre-eternal, that there is an other orientation in God. And I've already touched on this, right? Because you have Father and Son and then the Word and they're all creating together. And we learn that the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, each of them was holding the others at the center of their being. They were other-oriented. They were glorifying each other. They loved and honored the others. And this teaches that the very essence of reality then is love, which means what? To be other-oriented. To defer and to serve. And again, why is it that our society cannot stop writing songs about love? And we cannot stop writing stories about love and how we find inspiration in accounts of sacrifice for our fellow man, of, of, of these, these tales of sacrifice, how we give honor and awards to some of that, right? In military service, there's these, these awards that can be given for that. Why is that happening in us? Because in the beginning, God and God is love. This, this, this sense of love really is a description of God who is a, he's self-giving, He's, he's giving of himself to Father, to, to the other uh, persons of the Godhead, and then together they, out of the excesses of that relationship of love and generosity and glory and delight, they create. So imagine a world where each person around you is doing everything they can to outdo you in serving you. Imagine that. Where it's always, no, 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 not, not, not my needs, let me serve you. No, 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 not me, you. Imagine a world where that was what was happening. Right? You're in the grocery store line, long, you pick the wrong line again. You're in the bank line. Anybody go to the bank line anymore? Probably not. What are the other lines we're in? Right? You're in Breckenridge trying to get a crepe at the crepe shack. Long line. And everybody's like, no, 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 you go first, you go first. No, 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 you go first. It would almost be, I'm being kind of silly, but it, would, it, it describes this idea, it's almost a kind of paradise, right? Where there's this complete other-oriented disposition of one another to help and serve and care for each other. No selfishness, no greed, no power abuse, none of that's going on. Always serving, always loving, always giving. That would be an idea of paradise, right? Which, by the way, this is why a healthy marriage is one where the husband and wife discover the joy of giving their self away to the other. This is why a church family is healthy when the members and the leaders come to realize that self is meant to be given away to the other. In the beginning, God and God is love means the ultimate reality is one of deferring and serving 
and forgiving and giving. This is why Jesus could say, this is how everyone's going to know that you follow me, that you follow God. Because you, you remember this, John 13, 35, because you what? You love one another. Giving again. So, again, some of us would hear that and go, well, now, does that mean that I'm supposed to just kind of, you know, let everybody walk all over me, take advantage of me? I mean, this is a doggy-dog kind of world. It's dangerous out there. How, how can I live according to this reality of this true freedom of God, in the beginning God, and he's created me this way, and this is the model he said, and he's called me to follow. I'm just going to be used and abused and taken, taken advantage of, right? No. You see, self-giving should always be done to serve the other. This is really helpful to understand. I, I was confused with this as I was studying through it. But here's what's helpful. You, you, when we draw lines to prevent other people from sinning against us, we need to do that not primarily because it's about us, but primarily because it would be bad for them. Because they're not living in alignment with who they are in the beginning God. They're not living in alignment with their true intended purpose. We, we're going to see this, are image bearers of God. We have a divine purpose and design that we are to fulfill. And when we start sinning against other people, we are actually hurting ourselves. So when you draw lines and you, you say, no, that is wrong, and you say, no, don't do that, we're not going to do that, that needs to be done more for their sake, not just for your own sake, selfishly. This is convicting to me. Because we kind of have, the, we can kind of approach this with that kind of American bootstrap mentality on, man, I work for this, I did, how dare, you are not going to ruin what I have done. That's right, that's the culture of our age. We are people who what? In the beginning, God. And so we give of ourselves, we sacrifice ourselves, we are taken advantage of sometimes, but we do draw lines, not just for our sake, but for their sake. Think of it this way, if all of your boundaries are motivated in your life from selfishness, and everything you do about the way in which you're living your life is selfishness, you're going to destroy yourself and ruin the people and hurt the people around you. Even when you try, even when you think that you're, well, I don't want to enable them. This isn't really about an enablement anymore. It's about how selfishness in your own heart is causing damage in their life even as they run up against those boundaries. In the beginning, God, God is love. The ultimate reality is not power, it is love. That's the story of the Bible. So how does all this fit into the Bible then, into the storyline? Well, in the beginning, God tells us how the story begins. And the self-giving relationship of love that flows from the triune God ultimately triumphs in Jesus. Okay, if you, if you don't hear anything else from this whole sermon, please hear this. Please hear this. This is why the most probably well-known verse in our, all of our Bibles, John 3.16 for God so what? For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. That's the story of the Bible. It starts within the beginning God, who God is and what we see. And it all goes wrong, but then, there, then God is using his power because of his love to rescue us. And remember, Jesus, the word, was the creator, right? John 1, in Genesis 1, God said, who is that? John 1, Jesus. Nothing was made without him, John 1. Through the word, everything was made. Yet the story of the Bible tells us that Jesus came into the world not to destroy us under his judgment, but to give himself to be destroyed, to be judged in our place. The story of the Bible is one of love, where he gave himself up so we could be recreated to enjoy relationship with him forever. 
It's been said like this, and I'm borrowing this phrase, or the essence of it. Jesus is the maker, the creator, the maker, who was willing to be unmade on the cross of Calvary. Jesus is the maker who was willing to be unmade so we could be remade. That's the story of the Bible. Jesus is the judge who came into the world not to bring judgment but to bear it. He came to take the condemnation we deserve to forgive our sins so the Holy Spirit could come into our lives and begin to remake us. In the story of the Bible, we are told that God makes a new creation in all who believe in Jesus. And here's just a snapshot from the Apostle Paul's pen in 2 Corinthians 4 when he says this, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, right? Harkens back to Genesis 1. He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the God who was in the beginning. A triune God of love who created us and gave himself for us so we might be remade to enjoy him forever. Do you see that? Do you know Jesus? Do you know God this way? Do you see that in the beginning God and in the beginning God is love provides for your life purpose and meaning and, and a design and, and a sense of, of love and identity. And it's marvelous. It's wonderful. It will truly set you free. Do you know that? It really is our prayer that through this series that we will know that more and more, more deeply, and that it will work itself out in our lives in, in more of the nitty-gritty nuts and bolts of life so that we understand in the beginning, God, and in the beginning, God is love. I'll ask the music team to come. I'll ask the rest of us just to bow our heads and give some quiet reflection to these truths. And after just a moment of brief silence, I will close us in prayer before we sing our final hymn.